You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Venizio, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. He would lie down, the animals would be in the latter part, the back part of the cave. He would lie down and thus become the door by which the sheep would come and they would go. And so it is with us. And when Christ is recommended to us as the good shepherd, you know, that's the picture that it should also conjure up in our minds. He lays across the doorway to protect us from our natural predators. Jesus refers to himself in the New Testament as the Good Shepherd. And just as a shepherd would protect his sheep from predators, Pastor Mike explains how Jesus is the door for his sheep. This all relates to the story of Noah's Ark, in which God himself closes the door to protect the ark's inhabitants from the flood. Today, Pastor Mike shows how the ark ultimately points towards Jesus in this sense, We are all given the opportunity to enter into Jesus' salvation, but eventually the door will be shut. Now here's Pastor Mike in the book of Genesis chapter 7 as he continues his message, Noah and the Ark of God, Genesis. Some people read this story and they think it's some kind of a children's fable, some kind of a fabrication because they just can't wrap their heads around the idea of all of what God had created, two of every kind, was brought into that ark and remained in that ark for 40 days and 40 nights. I mean, how many animals are we talking about? Well, to answer that question for you, Ernst Mayer, one of America's leading taxonomists, and a taxonomist, just in case you don't know what a taxonomist is, is a biologist that groups organisms into different categories and species. So that's what we're talking about, and that's who this guy is, Ernest Mayer, and provides the following table of the number of animal species that were cited in the book that was written by both Tim LaHaye and John Morris, and the title of that book, The title is The Ark on Ararat. And in that book, he cited that there are, now he's talking about all of the animals that were were created by God that even exist presently. Mammals, 3,700. Birds, 8,600. He goes on, I'm not going to give you any more numbers. I'll just give you the sum total in just a moment. But he goes through the categories of all of the animals that had to be brought into the ship. You got mammals. You got birds, you got reptiles, you have amphibians, 
You have fishes, you have tunicates, you have echonderms, you have arthropods, you have mollusks, you have worms, you have solenterates, you have sponges, and you have protozoans. And he actually goes through this, I know I killed those words, <laughs> but if you go through that list, the sum total of all of the animals that were necessary to be brought into that ship were 1 million, okay, 72,300. Now, that, that's quite a large number of animals to be brought into that ship. And that's the problem that many have with this narrative, with this story, with this record, the instructions that God had given to Noah. And so granted, this is a large number, of course, but then he goes on in his writings to declare that not all of these species had to be upon the ark. Obviously, the fish did not, nor did the tunicates, or the echnoderms, or the mollusks, or the solenterites, the sponges, the protozoans, most of the arthropods, and most worms. In fact, simple subtraction brings the previously large number down to approximately 35,000 or 70,000 individual animals, one male and one female. Moreover, although we usually think of large animals when we think of the ark, like for example, elephants, hippopotamuses, giraffes, most land animals are in fact quite small. The average size is less than that of a sheep. And since 240 sheep fit comfortably in an average-sized two-decked railroad car, and since the volume of the ark would have been equal to 569 such cars, calculations show that the animals to be saved would have fit into approximately 50% of the ark's carrying capacity, leaving certainly enough room for people, food, water, and whatever other provisions may have been necessary. And LaHaye and Morris, who wrote this book, who cites this fellow, noted such simple calculations are certainly not beyond the abilities of the scoffers. What does seem to be beyond them is the willingness to try to see if the biblical story is feasible. So there you have it. Now, let me say this. I don't believe this story because of its feasibility, but simply because, listen, God said it. God recorded it for us here in this portion of the Bible. And Jesus himself, in fact, referred to it. In Matthew's gospel in chapter 24, Jesus referred to the days of Noah. And if Jesus made reference to it, money in the bank, folks, all right? But he said in Matthew's gospel in chapter 24 and verses 37 through 39, he says, but as the days of Noah were, so also would the coming of the Son of Man be. In other words, the scene that played out during the days of Noah will be the very same scene being played out when Jesus comes back for his church via either the rapture of the church or the second coming of Jesus. The same things would be true of that society and culture in that day. And then he goes on to declare, for as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and did not know until the flood came and took them all away, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. 
And so those are just some of the reasons why I believe this narrative to be true and to be accurate. Now, there are a number of lessons for us to be learned here from this text of Scripture. So all of what I've just said sort of serves as the platform for this study. And then that brings us to our first lesson, our first point, and this is what we want to take away from this narrative. The first thing is that when God shut Noah and his family up in the ark, they were totally secure. And that's our first point, totally secure. That is, I want you to think about this in relationship to our security in Christ. We are totally secure in him. So if you're taking notes, write that down. And I believe what we have here in our narrative is an allegorical picture of the perfect security given when we give our lives to Christ, who is the second ark. Now, we know in the Old Testament there are certain types that point us to Jesus Christ, particularly the items that are in relationship to the tabernacle in the wilderness. And in our series, the book of Exodus, we went through all of those types. And so there are many types, there are many analogies, allegories for us in the Old Testament that point us to Jesus Christ. So I want you to think about that. For God, at that time, it was his provision for the human race, if they would have taken advantage of it. Unfortunately, the only people who did take advantage of it was Noah and his immediate family. But I want you to think about it. That was God's provision for salvation, right? And also their provision and a way for them to escape judgment. Now, I want you to think about it in the relationship to Jesus Christ. And also back then, there was only one ship. There was only one boat. There wasn't a fleet of boats that they could escape on, right? Or escape the judgment of God, which was to come upon the earth. And that reminds me of what Jesus said about himself, how that he is that same provision, the second ark, if you will, of God. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes unto the Father except through me. So there's not many ways to God the Father. Jesus is the only way, even as there was only one ark. There was only one ship, you see. So there are many types and analogies and, and things to be said of the relationship of the ark and the person of Jesus Christ. So anyway, so God's Savior. Now, the rain and raging floods of life come. I want you to think about that. I want you to think about our own security now in Christ Jesus. Think of it in a picturesque kind of a way of what the people were about to experience during the times of the flood. But the rain and the raging floods of life come, don't they? And just because we are members of God's family, one of God's kids, you know, we're not exempt from life's problems and difficulties and struggles and, and such. But praise God, you know, we have the confidence and hope that all things work together for good. God has a purpose and a plan. He doesn't allow anything to come into the lives of his kids without a specific purpose in mind. And that purpose always is for good. There's always a purpose and a reason. Whereas a non-believer, there's no rhyme or reason, you know, for things going on in their lives, good or bad or whatever. It's just, you know, a roll of the dice. It's just a crapshoot. You can't make heads or tails sometimes of the things that are going on in, a, in the life of a person who is a non-believer. 
But we have that hope that all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purposes. So we're not exempt from life's problems and difficulties and struggles. So the rain and raging floods of life come. But listen, nothing can touch those who have been sealed in the ark of Jesus Christ. In a way, we're sort of like bulletproof, really. Notice God didn't say to Noah, okay, Noah, it's time for the rain to come. I want you to get your family into the ship. I want you to shut the door. I want you to get your sons, the big guys, to help you slide the door shut. And don't forget to throw the lock and safety bolt. No, he didn't say that at all. He didn't put the safety of his children in the hands of other people. And neither does he as it relates to you and to me. He shuts us in. He envelops us. In the book of Revelation in chapter 3 and verse 7, in describing himself concerning Jesus, he says, it is he that opens and no man shuts and shuts and no man opens. You know, and I love the variety of different ways that Jesus is recommended to us in the scriptures. Like, for example, as the good shepherd or the door of the sheepfold through which we enter into eternal life. John's Gospel in chapter 10. And I'm going to come back to that a little later on. But I want you to think of the picture that that should conjure up in our mind. Jesus being the good shepherd, the door through which the sheep pass. They come and they go. You got to understand this culturally. You know, the shepherd, at least part of his business, was taking his herds of sheep from one location to another to discover pasture so that the sheep may be fed. And that would take place during the course of the daytime. But at night, to protect the sheep from their natural predators, like, for example, wolves or coyotes or, or mountain lions or whatever, the shepherd would lead his sheep often into a cavern or a cave that was a part of a range of mountains, and it was always like a three-sided kind of a cave. And then as he herded the sheep into the cave, he himself would lie down in the front or the entrance of that cave. It was three-sided. There was never a door. That was the way that they would get in. And he became the door. He would lie down and to protect the sheep. And he would be their protector from their natural predators, the coyotes, the wolves and such, the mountain lions. And, but he would lie down. The animals would be in the latter part, the back part of the cave. He would lie down and thus become the door by which the sheep would come and they would go. And so it is with us. And when Christ is recommended to us as the good shepherd, you know, that's the picture that it should also conjure up in our minds. He lays across the doorway to protect us from our natural predators, right? The devil, the lust and the desires of our flesh, the world and such things. So the shutting in of Noah, if you think about it then, is the equivalent of our being sealed with the Holy Spirit, how that we are saved and secure. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 30. So we're preserved by God. We're preserved by Christ in so many different ways. Like, for example, we are preserved from temptation and sin. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13. There is no temptation 
that has overtaken you except such as is common to man. So don't think that you're a special case. Like, you know, sometimes we get into that mindset of like, no one has ever had to deal with this sort of a, or great of a temptation. Am I the only one? No, listen, <laughs> there's no temptation, but as such as common to man. We've all been there. We've all been tempted in that way. The question is, is are you going to overcome that temptation? Are you going to remain strong? Are you going to appeal to Jesus, who is your safety, who is your security? So he says, no temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful. And remember this, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. God knows your limitations. He's not going to allow something to come into your life that will just overwhelm you where you can't be victorious. Understand that. God is in control. When you give your life to Christ on your conversion experience and you're born again of the Spirit of God, make no mistake about this. He does take control of your lives. And he's orchestrating all of the details, as I so frequently remind you. He's working behind the scenes. He's pushing the buttons, pulling the strings. He's allowing or not allowing certain things to come into your life on the basis of his plan, his perfect plan. And so he will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. So don't blame anyone else when you fall into sin or you succumb to temptation. The problem lies with you. But with that temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. You know, one of the forms of ways that you might be able to escape it is just lace up your Nikes and run as fast as you can, you know, out of there, really. That's it, basically, for some of us. That's all that it takes, right? Okay, so we're preserved from temptation and sin. But that's not all in our security and safety in Christ. We're also preserved from injury. Let me give you another cross-reference. In the 91st Psalm, in verses 11 and 12, for he shall give his angels charge over you. Do you realize that God has assigned a certain angel to watch over you? That's not a kid's story, something that mom and dad would tell you, remind you about before putting you to bed and tucking you in at night. That's the truth of the matter. And, you know, one day we're going to, when we enter into heaven, you know, I honestly believe that we're going to be introduced to those angels. And we're going to have some interesting conversations that are going to be really eye-opening as they remind us of how they, you know, saved us from this situation. And, and Mike, remember the day that you were in New York at a certain time in the evening where you shouldn't have been there at a certain location, but I was with you. I was by your side. And you came that close, man, to ending it all. But I was there to preserve you. You weren't even aware of the fact that I was there, but I was there. We're going to have some interesting conversations. You can be sure of that. For he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all of your ways. Verse 12. In their hands they shall bear you up lest you dash your foot against a stone. So we're also preserved from injury. But more than anything else, probably most precious to us, we are preserved from judgment. One of the most beloved verses of Scripture anywhere in the Bible, John 3:16, For God so loved the world that he gave us his only begotten Son, that whosoever would believe in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Listen, gang. We are totally secure in Christ, even as Noah was totally secure 
in the ark. Now that brings us to our second point. So do you see the parallels? Do you see where I'm going with this message? It's all about Jesus. The second lesson that we learn here, the second lesson has to do with the grace of God, God's grace. So if you're taking notes, write this down. This is our second point. Again, let's go back to our text here in Genesis. The last Notice here, the last thing we are told in this story, verse 16, before the waters begin to come in, before the waters begin to rise, we are told in verse 16 that the Lord shut them in. Now, that is at the last possible moment. Now, I want you to think about this in context. For the last 120 years, right, Noah was preaching about God's righteousness, what God expected of the people. He addressed the subject of man's sin. He warned them about the impending judgment. And he also warned them about the coming of the flood. And folks, there was not one single convert. Can you imagine that? This is the preacher's worst nightmare. You hold a Sunday morning service, and no one shows up. And unfortunately, this has been a reoccurring dream of mine. (laughs) You know, know, I remember uh, having a conversation with Pastor Greg Laurie from a New Beginning radio broadcast in the Harvest Crusades, and Greg and I go way back. But I remember when he was first getting started with the New Beginning, way back, when we were just kids, man, starting our ministries. I remember he was thinking about, he had just gone on air in Seattle, Washington, So he wanted to kind of like test the waters. And so he contacted one of the churches. And at that time, I don't know if Wayne Taylor was already there or not. I don't even remember. But Wayne Taylor has an ongoing ministry right outside of Seattle, Washington. Very strong ministry there. Large church. But this might have been prior to Wayne even being there. So anyway, he contacted some church. And so they did some of the legwork and preparation. They found a facility that we could use to do a radio rally for a new beginning. Greg was going to go up there for the first time to preach. Well, anyway, he went up there and after all of his preparation and prayer and, you know, we didn't know what to expect. And there was only a handful of people. I mean, just a couple. You can count them on your one hand. How many people actually showed up for the radio rally? So anyway, that's a, it happens occasionally, but it's a, sort of like, it's not a dream. It's more like a nightmare, you know, that often preachers dream. But can you imagine? And Jeremiah was another guy who exactly liked this. He was raised up by God with a message to warn God's people Israel about their impending judgment, how that he was going to raise up these other nations who were going to come and and destroy them and carry them off into the captivity and lay them low. Not one convert. Could you imagine? And these guys just continue for 120 years. Noah, right? You think he would have become discouraged. Not one convert. Come on. In my father's house, there's a place for me. In my father's house, where I long to be. When you look back at your life, what moments stand out to you? There are probably some pretty great ones, getting married, having kids, graduations, and celebrations. But I imagine there are also a few you'd rather not remember, the ones that come back to run through your head at night as you try to fall asleep. When we take a look at the stories of some of the Genesis characters, 
We see it all, the good, the bad, and the ugly. These people you meet made their fair share of mistakes, but that didn't disqualify them from being used by God. God built a nation from human beings who were far from perfect. And guess what? He wants to use you too. God has a plan for your life, and you can faithfully follow Him in the way He has made for you. You can be forgiven of your sins and start fresh, remembering the faithfulness of God since the beginning of time. We're so glad we got to spend time with you today in the Word with Pastor Mike Venizio and in my Father's house. This program is a ministry out of Harvest Christian Fellowship in Midtown Manhattan. Check us out online at harvestnyc.org. There you'll find service times and our easy-to-find location. We have easy access from Port Authority on 42nd and Penn Station on 34th. Come by and see us. If you aren't close enough to drop by, you can find links to our online streaming and more on our website, harvestnyc.org. Again, that's harvestnyc.org. Thank you for joining us today. We're out of time for now, but come back and feast on the Word with us next time in My Father's House. Let my heart not be troubled.